AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. We have a busy show for you again today. Lots to talk about. We have the latest meat export numbers. We'll talk with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, about those. We're going to talk about weather trends for the rest of harvest and into this winter. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, will be joining us. And we'll also talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start things off taking a look at some of the items in the news. We'll talk with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Great to be with you. All right. Hey, we have a, a new ag advisor at EPA, Rod Snyder. Tell us about him and your thoughts on him being in that position. The American Soybean Association and myself personally, we're very pleased that Rod was uh, was selected for that position as ag advisor. It's very important that we have someone there that understands agriculture, that understands farmers and ranchers, and understands uh, you know, biofuels, bio crop protection, as well as sustainability. And Rod has been, of course, he started his career uh, working for the National Corn Growers and then was at Crop Life. And then uh, for the last uh, uh, seven years, he's been leading field to market, susta- uh, the sustainability consortium, and, and ASA is a part of that. And we've worked with Rod through the years, and he's a very good guy, understands agriculture, and really looking forward to working with him there. If any agency in the government needs an ag advisor, I think it's EPA. So I think this is a very critical position. It, 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 it really is. And we had strongly, we and a number of other groups had strongly supported his candidacy uh, and his selection there. Uh, you know, our, the fear is, is that you could end up with someone there that really doesn't understand agriculture and understand what farmers and ranchers do every day. And, uh, you know, our we'll we'll he'll he'll be a he'll be a good voice. Uh, hopefully, he can he can make a difference there. Um, but you're absolutely right. Of all the agencies that uh, we need, someone who understands agriculture, EPA is one of them because they have such an impact on the tools that farmers have, the WOTUS rules that we have coming up, uh, uh, pesticides, biofuels, you name it. Well, let's talk about WOTUS because EPA Administrator Reagan says he wants to craft a durable definition of waters of the U.S. And uh, he wants to kind of appease all sides seemingly here, which would seem to be a pretty tall task. Uh, My question on this is, why don't you wait and see how this rule works? I mean, (laughs) we just went through four years to get it, and all of a sudden now you want to change it. I realize they like to change a lot of things from the previous administration, but it doesn't seem like they've given this one a chance to even work. No, that's that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I say good luck on trying to appease everybody. Uh, We're we're very concerned. I mean, we strongly supported uh, the navigable waters protection rule, which, which was crafted uh, by the Trump administration, it provided a lot more certainty to farmers and ranchers than, uh, frankly, the, the previous WOTUS rule. Um, and that's one of the messages that we have to EPA. I mean, they've, they've announced and, and, of course, they've withdrawn uh, the navigable waters protection rule, and they've announced that they want to craft that durable rule, as you state. But you know, we're saying is that farmers and ranchers want certainty. One of the things we don't like is this, this, you know, back and forth where we have one rule and then it's withdrawn and then another one, which makes everyone unhappy. And then, uh, you know, we, we would like to have certainty, make sure that normal farming practices and, and what farmers and ranchers do aren't covered by permit requirements. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's the message that we're going to be delivering to EPA. We're talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, how frustrating is it to see the infrastructure bill held hostage while politicians argue over the budget reconciliation bill? 
uh, instead of just having uh, be a standalone bill, these uh, efforts that House Democrats are using to link the two. How frustrating is that to be that close to an infrastructure bill that has bipartisan support but can't get a vote on it? Mike, we are at the American Soybean Association are exceedingly frustrated and disappointed uh, that we did not get a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure package last week, as was promised. Um, you know, it contains so many good things for that agriculture, and we at ASA have been advocating for for so many years investments in, in roads, bridges, broadband, uh, inland waterways, rail, uh, you name it. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, um, the speaker caved in despite the promises that she had made to have a vote on it on uh, uh, October, uh, September 27th. And uh, she caved in and, and uh, we are being held hostage by the progressive group of the wing of the Democratic Party that is saying they won't allow that to move forward until they get their budget reconciliation package, whatever that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. It is frustrating. And now we've got a little better idea of what the, the Biden administration's policy on trade with China may look like, although still a lot of details missing. Looks like they're going to keep the tariffs in place, but they say they're, they're ready to kind of assume direct talks with China. Uh, how do you see this going? I mean, there's certainly a, a lot at stake here when you talk about trade with China. Uh, what do you think of the approach they've taken so far? Well, I, you know, overall, well, the proof will be in the pudding. But uh, we agree that I, you know, I, I guess we're we're supportive. You know, as you know uh, well, Mike, that the China is the number one export market for U.S. soybean producers in the world. So we want trade to continue with China, but we also recognize that the United States has to confront China and their unfair trade practices, uh, the great power competition that exists, uh, you know, uh, theft of intellectual property, uh, all of those things. But I think through the dialogue that uh, talking is always a very good thing. So, so to confront them there, to uh, Ambassador Tai announced that the, they're going to hold China's feet to the fire to make sure that they live up uh, to their phase one uh, agriculture purchase commitments and their market access commitments. And they're still, um, you know, they still have a ways to go there. We're frankly disappointed in the soybean industry that we haven't seen more purchases this marketing year for this new marketing year from China. Last year, we came close to meeting the 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 requirements and setting a record there, but uh, this year um, we're not seeing those kinds of purchases take off, and we're certainly hoping that, that they begin purchasing here in the future. Yeah, saying you're going to hold their feet to the fire is one thing, actually getting them, making it happen, that that's, that's harder to do. So we'll see what happens there. Steve, always good to talk with you. Thanks for your perspective and being with us today. Thank you so much. Take care. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Up next, new meat export numbers. Are they continuing uh, strong? It's been a pretty good run. We'll see what the latest numbers tell us as we'll talk it over with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That's next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online.
These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we take a look at our meat export numbers, see how we're doing. It's been a pretty impressive run, especially considering the headwinds of a worldwide pandemic. We have the numbers out now from August, and joining us with those numbers is Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. Yes, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I'm looking here that the pork exports are still on a record pace and beef exports over a billion dollars. That's a pretty good, pretty good headline there to start off with. So things are still uh, still looking good on the on the meat exports, even with the challenges we're facing. Yeah, Mike, without a doubt, I think the trend lines we've been talking about the last few months continue. Um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, beef was a record value. Uh, first time we've ever been over a billion dollars for a single month in total exports uh, and but I think the real the real theme here on both beef and pork is uh, it continues to be the broad-based growth I mean on the beef side you know got China and Japan with with record uh, exports for the month but you got a lot of other uh, regions that are contributing South Korea Central America Mexico and it's the same story on the on the pork side uh, you know, you, you have uh, you have some pretty big numbers on pork from Mexico, uh, but Japan, uh, Korea, South America, Central America are all contributing. So, I think that's really uh, one of the stories here that uh, it's a lot of countries contributing, and demand in general is very very solid. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly encouraging. It, that diversity of markets uh, certainly is important. So you're not so reliant just on one market. Um, so when we look at pork, the pay, we're still on a pace for a record. Is that right? We are. Yeah, we're, we've been saying all along that we're, we were estimating one or two percent growth over last year's record, um, and that's still the case. We were up four percent year on year for the month of August. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think um, you know as we look to the last quarter, uh, we're pretty confident we will have a record. And the other thing I should have mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, these muscle cuts and pork's a good example. We're down 20 percent uh, in the month of August for China. These are the same trend lines we'd seen on muscle cuts uh, for several months now. 
But the good news is that the variety meats are up big, and China and Mexico are the two largest user of variety meats. So we don't often talk about these variety meats, but on the pork side, 25,000 tons, up over 20%, and uh, on the beef side, they were up uh, 20-some percent as well. So, uh, you know, this is another opportunity to capture value that uh, is really, really starting to shine. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, Dan, we talk a lot about the, the headwinds of the, the pandemic and obviously now transportation supply chain issues. How big of a challenge has that become? Well, it continues to uh, be a very big challenge, and, and it's not just in the uh, West Coast. You know, we're, We've been talking about the West Coast, especially Long Beach area, for quite a while. But we're starting to see uh, backups uh, on the East Coast, Savannah, uh, the Gulf Coast, you know, Houston, et cetera, uh, New Orleans, another one. Um, and, and it's not just containers. It's, it's availability of chassis to move containers. It's uh, the availability of truckers to move the chassis that move the containers. Uh, but, but then it's also, we're, we're continuing to hear of uh, backups uh, in the Asian ports as well. So it's really a, a global situation. And uh, uh, now the good news is that uh, there's more and more awareness of this, uh, more and more focus on trying to see what we can do as an industry. And, uh, and it's not just ag, it's textiles. It's a lot of, a lot of industries are affected by this. So I, I do think that we're the increased awareness, both politically and and commercially, is important here. But unfortunately, I mean, we've been talking about this for some time. It it doesn't look like it's going to be rectified soon. It's this is going to take a while. It's going to take a while, and and we're in the peak import season for things like uh, textiles, uh, clothing. Uh, you know, a lot of toys for Christmas come from China. You know, there's examples like this. We are in the peak import season, which is compounding the problem a bit. But, uh, but that being said, once we get closer to the end of the year and into early uh, 2022, uh, the, the import situation goes away, and, and, and we're optimistic that we'll see some improvement over the next three to six months. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to take time. This has been building since last year, and it's not going to be solved uh, overnight. Dan, we keep hearing about the, the spread of African swine fever. Uh, how big of an issue is that? And the fact that it keeps popping up, so obviously it's not contained. Fortunately, it's been kept out of the U.S., but we know it's, a, it's always a threat. It's, it's always a threat. But that being said, um, you know, I think uh, you talk about a level of awareness. Uh, I'm very impressed by our pork industry and, and our political support from Secretary Vilsack all the way through the, the government chain. Uh, I think everything is being done and being done proactively to do everything possible to make sure that it doesn't uh, get into the U.S. Now, that being said, we wouldn't be very good business managers if we weren't also working on a parallel track uh, what we would do in case it were to make it to Puerto Rico, for example, or even to the U.S. So there's been a lot of uh, uh, crisis planning uh, in a worst-case scenario. Hopefully we will never have to use that. But but uh, there is very acute awareness about the importance of uh, managing this situation. And uh, you, you, you said it well. We've seen disruption now for the last several years in China, you know, in Eastern Europe, uh, uh, now in the Dominican Republic, and you're right, it, it is popping up, and we need to take it very, very seriously. We've talked pork and beef. What about lamb? What, how are our lamb exports looking? Well, lamb continues to go forward. Uh, they're down a bit uh, in Mexico, but up in the Caribbean. Um, you know, we have a very short uh, a lamb supply situation at the moment, which is contributing to some of that, but but once again, we're making inroads also in you know places like Central America and and, and even in Asia a little bit. So um, we're always the highest price uh, on lamb globally because of our quality, our grain-fed quality versus a lot of the lower-cost producers. But 
you know that, that's okay because we're we're marketing a much higher value product. So so long term, I think the outlook for land to increase share globally is is a positive one as well. I know you're always working on demand, but it sounds like demand is good right now. The bigger challenge is just uh, uh, transportation and actually delivery of the product. Then it sounds like that is the single biggest challenge. Yes, and the demand is not only good but record breaking in some of these markets. So the other the other bit of information that's positive and a headwind that we've been dealing with. In one final thought here is uh, COVID nineteen. Um, Asia can, has continued to be in their fourth or fifth wave, depending on the country. But we have a bit of good news there. Uh, Japan and Korea both are looking at lifting their emergency orders that have been in place now for almost four or five months. And uh, it might be the first glimpse into some relaxation uh, on social distancing and, and maybe a little bit of relief for the food service industry finally in, in our two biggest, two of our biggest markets for beef and pork, uh, Japan and Korea. So uh, it won't happen overnight, but hopefully over the next several months we'll see some, we could see a boost in demand there as well. We don't talk a lot these days about Japan, so I'm assuming no news is good news, right? I mean, that, that's still a good, strong market for us. Extremely strong market, yes. I mean, they've been through a lot, uh, you know, COVID, and, and uh, you know, they had a shakeup in the government and, and whatnot. But the reality is that they're, they have one of the largest savings rates in the world, and they, and they pay for quality, and uh, they'll continue to be a good match for the U.S. beef and pork industries. All right, Dan, good to talk with you. I'm glad that each month we've been able to report good news, strong sales of our, our meat products, and we'll hope that it continues then. It sounds like it uh, is on track to do so. Thanks a lot. Michael, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Meat demand globally continues to be very, very strong. But as you heard him say, the challenge now is delivering the product. It's, uh, these are difficult times with the supply chain. All right, up next, we are going to talk with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll talk about harvest. We'll talk about the markets and what he sees as we move forward with all these different issues, a lot of outside pressures on commodity markets right now. And of course, the big concern, input costs, rising input costs. We'll talk about all that with Matt Bennett coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Attention is shifting towards next week's USDA report out on Tuesday. The average analyst estimate for production is 14.973 billion bushels, a hair below the 14.996 we saw in last month's report. The average estimate for yield comes in at 176 bushels per acre, a drop of 0.3 from the previous report. Ending stocks are estimated to be near 1.432 billion bushels. We are seeing stronger futures across 
across the board this morning, noting soybeans, which have held on to gains throughout the early morning trading hours. The November soybean contract trading 10 and a half cent higher at 12.57 and three quarters. January up 10 and three quarters at 12.69. December corn trading two cents higher at 5.36. The March contract up two cents at 5.45. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up a penny and a half cent at 7.42 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December up four and a fraction at 7.45 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December up seven and three quarters at 9.50. The March contract trading eight and three quarters of a cent higher at 9.40. In cash cattle country, it's quiet this morning with business essentially done for the week. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $125 in the south and $198 in the north. Having said that, a little light scattered trade may be reported here and there today. Beef cutouts are expected to be mixed with light to moderate box movement. December live cattle trading 22 cents higher at 130.35. February up 25 at 134.90. Feeder cattle November up 17 cents at 161.77. January 12 cents higher at 161.37. In lean hogs, the February contract up 15 at 84.50. December trading 15 cents higher at 82.17. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 19 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 14, the S&P 500 up 5, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we're joined now by Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for joining us. How's uh, harvest been going in East Central Illinois? We've been rolling along pretty good, you know, and then last weekend we had some rain, anywhere from an inch to inches, depending on where we're at. Over the last couple of days, we had more rain. Uh, around home, we had actually almost two inches of rain, whereas where we need to get our corn harvested, fortunately, we had uh, no more than a half an inch. But regardless, it's going to be a little slower going from this point forward. But, you know, we're down, uh, oh, I don't know, we're down to six or 700 acres, so um, you know, a good week uh, of running and we'd be able to get done. I think uh, given the fact that we're a little wetter right now, though, it might take a little more than a week. Mm-hmm. How are your corn yields? Our corn yields have been really good. Um, you know, it seems like the earliest stuff we harvested was our best, and I think it's that way a lot of times. You know, I like to harvest between 20 and 25% if I can get it uh, at that stage. Uh, obviously, drying's a concern, you know, and there's a uh, some logistical issues uh, getting all your corn harvested in those uh, uh, levels. But uh, as we've dried down, I do think that some of that phantom yield loss, if you will, uh, has certainly been uh, something to deal with. Now, I think our corn yields have been really good. They definitely, in my opinion, didn't exceed expectations, but most of my expectations have been met. Whereas on soybeans, we've had awfully good beans. We we just, uh, uh, you know, I'd say our beans were every bit as good as we thought they were going to be and then some. So how far along are you on, on bean harvest? I've got a couple of days left, so I've got left. So uh, you know, it's going to take several days before I can get out there and get them, though. Uh, yeah. They're going to have to dry out a little bit. But, you know, like as well as I do, we were getting uh, into some awfully dry uh, mm-hmm. moisture beans. Uh, you know, a lot of folks were cutting uh, 8 and 9% beans, and that'll certainly cost you quite a bit of money. So I think a lot of people were pretty uh, – 
happy that we actually got a little bit of rain uh, for a little mm-hmm. moisture back in these beans. So uh, a couple, three days, and I'll be done there. Yeah, I think it was uh, a good rain at a good time. Uh, we're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So for marketing, though, Matt, uh, for those that haven't already sold the crop or what's left of the crop that they haven't sold, uh, where do you see this market going, and uh, what, are you, what are you talking with farmers about as far as holding or, or selling? You know, on soybeans, I've been telling people, if you're above APH, uh, I have a hard time uh, snubbing my nose at 12.50 and above basis of the board. Yeah, I guess from my vantage point, uh, some of the yields that we're hearing producers talk about uh, it would give you $900 or more gross revenue per acre, you know, and with what it costs to put a bean crop out, I'm not so sure that uh, we ought to be, again, snubbing our nose at the, at those kind of uh, profit margins and those kind of income levels. As far as corn's concerned, it's a little more complicated. Uh, not everyone, I guess, uh, is looking at above APH yields. Of course, there's some uh, folks that have had some uh, major issues with disease. Uh, and so it's a little more complicated, but if you're above APH yields on corn, I have a hard time not at least quantifying some worst-case scenarios. You know, getting some of this corn sold, you can always play it from the long side with a defined amount of risk. Uh, but as far as those that are below APH, you know, they're calling wondering, hey, what's the long-term possibilities on this corn market? And I guess, you know, my view as well as Ag Market's view is certainly that there's a chance that this corn market's going to stay pretty steady. You know, when I look at fertilizer prices where they're at, the big picture for corn tells me that it's going to be hard uh, to get uh, any robust acreage total this next year. Uh, not only availability, price of uh, fertilizer, and we look at cotton prices, wheat prices, milo, sorghum, you name it. Everyone's coming to the table trying to get a hold of some acres for next spring. Yeah, what are you hearing as, as farmers talk about input costs and are they concerned about just being able to get, to, even if they're willing to pay the price, can they get it next year? That's the question. You know, I've been told from a lot of people that you can put your anhydrous on this fall, get it put on. You know, if you're in an area that uh, they think is safe to where you won't lose it, you know, of course, use then serve and, and be a good steward there. But, uh, you know, we've got to get the anhydrous on this fall if you're wanting to use anhydrous because there's a lot of question marks as to whether you'll even be able to get a hold of it this next spring. So it's a concerning issue, you know, when we hear about uh, some of these folks in China who have said, hey, quit uh, exporting uh, dry fertilizer. Um, you know, I, I guess it's a little bit uh, scary. You you kind of wonder uh, if, if some of this price situation is man-made. I mean, Mike, uh, you and I both know if corn was four dollars, we wouldn't be looking at dry fertilizer prices where we've got them. Uh, it's not your main. Fa- it's not your your retailer's fault. So don't take it out on them. I mean, they're just a function of what they can get it purchased for. But uh, this fertilizer is, is certainly always a function of what you see corn prices doing. And it's a, it's a tough game to play. One thing you've got to be really careful about is booking all this fertilizer and not selling some corn for next fall because if you get some sort of a black swan event, even though I'm not bearish corn, I'll tell you what, if corn would go down 50 cents after you lock in all your inputs, it'd be a pretty tough deal. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, if, if we were looking at... Uh four dollar corn we wouldn't see these input costs like this it's amazing how they jumped up when the the commodity prices jumped up yeah it is amazing and it isn't amazing i guess you know i i totally agree with you i mean it's, it's a frustrating proposition uh but you know there's not very many players in the fertilizer game you know and there's certainly a lot of folks uh, that are well aware of what's going on from a, a profit margin standpoint you know and i think that what you're going to do is you're going to lower uh, corn acreage, in essence, uh, uh, from what it possibly could be. I think that if you were still looking at fertilizer prices anywhere close to what we saw last year, which was, you know, the lowest we'd seen in several years as far as dry fertilizer was concerned, you know, if you saw prices anywhere close to that, then you'd probably look at 96, 98 million acres of corn next spring. But I think you struggle to get much over 90 million acres of corn right now. Uh, whenever you look at fertilizer prices, where they're at, and hydro situation, and then, of course, uh, once again, uh, all these other crops that are really trying to get acreage by running prices up. I mean, $7.5 wheat out in the next summer is pretty rich. A lot of concerns, but it sure has not dampened the uh, land value market, has it? Absolutely not. And so, you know, the thing is, uh, if, if, I was someone, if I was someone that had been wanting to sell land in that 2015 time frame up to now, you know, this is your golden opportunity. And so I think you're going to see a ton of land hit the market this fall which is probably going to keep us from getting extremely carried away. Now, 
21 and 26,000 for some land out of Iowa. I know some of this was going to be development, uh, but regardless, uh, it just goes to show you that these initial sales are probably going to be pretty dynamic. I think that if you flood the market with some sales, which I think you will, uh, given the fact that a lot of folks have some money in their pocket this year, uh, then I think that's going to temper prices somewhat. But by all means, I expect a lot of ground to tra- change hands this winter. Yeah, some of the, the prices are just uh, amazing. Um, how concerned are you about uh, exports kind of slowing a bit, business slowing a little bit here? Do you, do you, were you expecting that, or do you think this is a concern? Well, I think, you know, as far as shipments were concerned, we had to expect that was going to happen with what happened in the Gulf. Sales have been disappointing, though. And so uh, I think that, uh, obviously, the Chinese knew, they were well aware that uh, we were going to have some bottlenecks with what was going on in the Gulf. And so, uh, you know, they were a little hesitant. They bought those beans off Brazil here a couple weeks ago. Uh, But I think moving forward, we're pretty much open at this point. And so I feel a little bit better about our prospects of being able to – maybe get going a little bit better on exports. Now, I think that the bean export program, in essence, is going to be the one that's hurt most in that this is our uh, prime time for shipping soybeans, whereas for corn, you know, we don't ship a ton of corn uh, throughout the fall time frame. I certainly would like to see these sales pick up a little bit, but we have had a couple surprise sales here this week, corn and beans to Mexico. It sure is nice to see if the Chinese were on holiday that some other folks were stepping in and buying and I've got to think that uh, now that the Chinese are back to doing business, uh, we're going to have some opportunities to see some sales. Uh, I, I certainly think that uh, they've got a lot of room to catch up as far as soybean uh, sales are concerned. But uh, uh, And I don't necessarily expect the Chinese to get all those purchased. But uh, at the same time, i got to think that they're going to start getting in there buying some beans and maybe some corn. If input costs drive more acres to soybeans, and we already know South America is planting more soybeans, are you setting? Are we setting up a bearish scenario for soybean prices next year? That would be my uh, bias, yes, Mike. I, I tell you, here's the thing: when you're looking at soybean prices this morning, we're up uh, seven cents again. You're at twelve sixty-one. You got to ask yourself as a producer, you know, uh, what kind of money can you make at twelve sixty-one with the kind of beans we're producing? I mean, Mike, I'll tell you what: these yields this fall have been phenomenal in a lot of areas. Maybe not everyone. I understand that. Uh, but overall, you know, we've seen some awfully good yields. And so right here in central Illinois, there's a lot of folks cutting 75 to 85 bushel beans. You know, and, and this is the third or fourth year in a row they've seen, uh, you know, 70-plus averages. And so if you just take 70 bushel beans times 1260 uh, basis of board again, I mean, you're looking at some awfully salty income. So my personal opinion is that you should at least lock in some worst-case scenarios uh, and then if you want to play this from the long side, again, with a defined amount of risk, I think it makes quite a bit of sense. But I certainly don't want to snub my nose at 1260 beans uh, this fall. So we'll see what uh, the final tally is for this harvest. But as we just learned from USDA, they may change it a year from now anyway. Absolutely. Uh, that's the thing, Mike. I can tell you with 100% accuracy what the market did yesterday. And so <laughs> whenever the USDA comes in and they say, hey, this is what happened a year ago. Uh, you know, I, I don't want their job, and I'm not trying to poke too much fun here, but uh, it, it is a little irritating for a lot of producers whenever they come back in and adjust things one whole year later. It's pretty hard to uh, claim complete accuracy whenever you're adjusting after the fact. So, um, absolutely, uh, it, it's uh, one of those things that has to be mentioned and is a little bit frustrating for a lot of producers. All right, Matt, thanks a lot. Have a good, safe rest of your harvest. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Have a good one, bud. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Up next, we're going to talk with Dennis Toddy. He's director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Get his thoughts on the weather trends for the rest of this harvest season and into this winter. And will those very dry areas uh, get some much-needed moisture as we head towards next year? We'll talk about that with Dennis Toddy next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see 
became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're still learning more and more about what all is included in this budget reconciliation bill. And there is a fee proposed in this bill that is going to hit oil and gas producers. To shed a little light on this, I've invited Edward Cross, the president of the Kansas Independent and Oil and Gas Association, to join us. Edward, what are they proposing here in this reconciliation bill? We've uh, been talking to many policymakers about the methane fee that's included in the reconciliation bill and a fee on, on the methane emissions from the uh, oil and gas industry even though uh, the oil and gas industry has been reducing those emissions uh, significantly for the last decade. They're just looking to add a, I believe it's $1,800 a ton fee for methane emissions. Is that right? That's correct. Almost impossible for them to distinguish whether it's from oil and gas or from other sources. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. AOA is brought to you by... Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's take a look at some weather trends as we make our way through this harvest season and into winter. Joining us now is Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thanks for being back with us. Uh, what do you see for the rest of this harvest season? What's, uh, what's brewing out there, weather systems we should be watching? Well, for the first time, actually, for most of the harvest season, we may get a bit of a slowdown. We've got a, a fairly large system coming out of the coming into the northern plains. It's going to be bringing precipitation to the northern plains and a chunk of the central Midwest over the next, uh, starting probably Sunday into the middle of next week. Um, so there will be some some fairly widespread rain chances. Some could be relatively heavy, as in a couple inches of rainfalls. Uh, there's one area kind of from Oklahoma up to eastern Iowa, and then there's a larger area of kind of from Wyoming into eastern South Dakota. So we will get some slowdown. I, I don't think it's going to be a, you know a, a shutdown on harvest for a long period of time because I don't know if we'll get that much rainfall. Maybe rainfall in places where things are a little bit wet already, there could be some problems. And then we've also been kind of messaging this as as the far western plains. There is a problem in the western plains where like uh, Wyoming could get some snow, could be some livestock issues out there. Eastern Corn Belt out of this is going to get less, so eastern Corn Belt should continue moving along pretty readily. Uh, so give people a little bit of a chance to slow down, catch their breath before we get on moving to the second part of harvest after this. Those very dry areas that have been dry all year, do you see them getting much improvement this fall and going into winter? Well, and that's the that's a great follow-up question is that that's the one positive that's going to come out of this is that um you know the northern plains has seen you know parts of the dakotas and minnesota have seen some improvement in drought conditions over the last actually a couple months period but we still have some dry soils up there uh this rainfall should help that situation again we're it's it's hard to fix drought out of one system, but it will get a decent amount of moisture back in the soil. That's good. And that area of rainfall kind of from Kansas into Iowa will hit another dry area. Uh, you know, much of central Iowa over to northern Illinois has been uh, very dry over the latter part of the growing season. So will help to, to, to alleviate that area. Uh, so this is I, overall it's a good thing even though it's going to slow down harvest it is probably a good thing in getting some moisture back in the soil um and moving us along it's uh, we have to think longer term also for some things like people who've been dealing with livestock water uh you know shortage of, of, of water for livestock or poor quality water for livestock in the northern plains are going to need more of this and probably some snowfall to help alleviate some of those problems uh before next year much of the Midwest has seen a warm start to October. Is that going to continue? It, it, you know, you would think, you know, when and especially when you see big systems like this, the 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 the, the natural thinking is, okay, we've got a big system coming through. We've got colder air coming in behind it finally. Well, that colder air is mainly going to stay in the far in the western U.S. and the western plains. And only a little bit cooler air is going to make it over most of the Midwest. So um, that's, I mean, that's a plus standpoint for the, if we need to get some drying of soils, uh, surface soils after this, uh, the warm temperatures should generally stay with us to be able to, um, uh, to, to dry out the surface soils. And if there's any drying of crops, though there's not much drying of crops, it appears things have dried out for people pretty quickly from all the reports I'm hearing. The downside of this warmth is that people who are doing any kind of nutrient application in the fall really need to discourage people from doing that because we have some still very, very warm soils out there. We have uh, you know, parts of the Corn Belt, parts of Southern Illinois at soil temperatures up near 80 still as of early this week. And that's way too warm for being any kind of nutrient application. So uh, that's a real problem. And we really discourage people to from from trying to do that because uh, it's it's just the soils are way too warm, and especially with chances for precipitation coming now. Uh, that's just a, a, a situation for, for losing a lot of those nutrients. So let's look into the winter. Anything shaping up gives you an idea of what kind of winter we might be looking at? 
Sure. Um, the, the the basics, you know, the uh, you meant you mentioned warmth. The warmth is likely going to continue much of of October. Uh, as we get into November and in the early part of winter, um, the the outlooks all lean towards a La Nina. Remember, we're talking about La Nina. We're talking about uh, colder than average sea surface temperatures in the Pacific. That does influence somewhat what's what what can happen in the winter in the U.S. And the long-range outlooks do are, are trending that way right now. So that the southern part of the Corn Belt and, and far eastern Corn Belt have a slight chance for being warmer, which is typical of La Nina. Uh, there are a slight chance of coolness in the northern plains, though that is really, really fairly small. And then uh, some additional chances for precipitation, especially eastern Corn Belt in the latter part of winter, in the main part of winter, and in the latter part of winter, especially, you know, kind of Ohio Valley, Great Lakes area, we would have a, a bit of an increased chance for precipitation. The northern plains area really is kind of left out of this whole situation. Um, but, you know, because this is all based on looking at previous La Ninas, what will happen exactly this winter, things can change a little bit differently, so we'll have to keep an eye on things as we go along. Uh, but that's that's our starting point right now is taking basic La Ninas and, and saying, you know, that's the increased likelihood going into the winter here. All right, Dennis, thank you. It just seems strange here, early October, we'd normally be talking about a race between crops and the first frost date and things like that, and we really haven't had those conversations this year. It's just been a different year. Thanks for the outlook, though. We appreciate it. Happy to do it. You guys take care. All right, take care. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Well, that wraps it up for today and for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots going on. We'll try to keep you up to date as best we can on what's happening in Washington, D.C. And, of course, with the weather and um, uh, some when it concerns the livestock industry. We'll be talking more about those next week as well. So have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. This Movember, here's to mustaches in all their glory. To the first peach fuzz ones, the lopsided ones, the unexpectedly sexy ones, to the black, brown, and red ones, to the stately salt and pepper ones, to the ones grown by the men we love, the ones grown for the men we love, those with us today and those never forgotten. A mustache in Movember is a powerful thing. It helps raise funds and awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So rally a crew, friends, family, co-workers, and take on Movember together. And there are plenty of ways to get involved in Movember, even if you can't grow a mustache. Help us change the face of men's health. Go to Movember.com and let's get this hairy party started. That's Movember with an M as in mustache.com. Movember is a registered 501c3 organization.